0: I've been caught Good afternoon. Good evening. This is Dove Tuzman, and you're on Equal Footing. And please, beautiful beings, be a little patient with sound tonight. I have uh, COVID again. We'll get into that in a bit. And uh, I'm calling in from home. I am almost always at the studio. We're always challenged a little bit on audio when I call in from home because I don't have the proper studio set up here. So hopefully you'll be hearing me all right. Thank God for the mute button. I'll be able to uh, spare you from my coughs. We're going to talk tonight because of the reaction last week. We're going to get into, uh, deeper into the subject of the moral hazards of a religious life, the pitfalls. You know, we call ourselves religious or we at least strive to orient ourselves more towards faith. And sometimes that trips us up. Sometimes we end up, unfortunately, arguably, some have made the argument in the social sciences, in a worse place than when we started. And boy, are there some eye-opening studies out there about how people that are actively non-believers, and I'm not talking about the nuns, so to speak, N-O-N-E-S, the people that write nun in terms of their belief you know, they're not sure, they're agnostic, but people that are atheists, actively non-believers, well, there's a lot of peer-reviewed academic research in psychology and other social sciences that we talked some about last week and in previous shows that show that folks that are non-believers actually exhibit greater degrees of altruism and other objective metrics about caring about others from children to adulthood. So that's disturbing. But where does this come from? Where is this paradox of the moral license? That we sometimes get when we believe we're on the religious path, and sometimes we feel like we check the box, and it allows us to just forget to be nice while standing in line at the grocery store or at Starbucks or at the gas station. Just forget the basic golden rule that Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson explained explained to us on last week's show is the foundation of Judaism, and in fact, all the Abrahamic faiths. And that's to treat others as we would expect to be treated and want to be treated. But you know what? We forget that sometimes more on the religious path because we went to temple, because we davened, because we wrapped the fill-in, because we went to church on Sunday, because we went to mosque, whatever it may be. And I'm speaking more about the Western religions just because I have more understanding of them. Okay, so we're going to get into the second part of the series tonight on... A little bit less of a, hopefully a topic that elicits a little bit less defensiveness. Last week we had folks calling in and say, wait a minute, you know, I'm religious and I, I find myself being more attentive than others to the way I treat people in daily life. Bravo. That's wonderful. We had callers talking about the fact that, you know, look at Hassala or other charity programs, charity programs in the Jewish world. We do more as Jews in the community. And so, yeah, sometimes we slip up, maybe we're not as polite out in secular society, but who cares about politeness about what you do? Okay, I get it. I get that argument. But maybe this week we can be less defensive, because this week we're going to be talking about something I think we can all acknowledge, at least as a problem. And if, if you can't acknowledge as a problem, do what I'm about to say, you got to check yourself, because it's as acknowledged, even in Talmudic writings, as an issue of substantial Reflection. It's acknowledged in various Christian texts. It's acknowledged in Buddhism, in Hinduism, in Islam as an issue. And that is the temptation towards selfishness on the religious path. And I don't just mean the selfishness that leads us to commit sin. All religions are pretty clear on that. And I don't really also mean, in fact, this will be explicitly excluded in this show, another way that selfishness is wrestled with. In the religious world. And that is the way that selfishness or self-centeredness, or not exactly the same thing, distract us from God. Bring us further away from our relationship with God because we're more focused on ourselves. That's easy. That's cake. Talk about that. All religions are clear about avoiding selfishness when it comes to sin and avoiding selfishness when it comes to, you know, prioritizing yourself over your God-belief and your daily practices. Okay, that we can agree on. But what about selfishness, self-centeredness, as it pertains to observing our religious life, period? Is it not a selfish choice to spend our time going to temple instead of spending time with our kids? Is it not a selfish choice to be spending time with a, a church group rather than out there giving to multi-faith communities out there in society in general. Of course, these things can be reconciled. But why do they have to be reconciled in the first place? Why are we even having this discussion? So I'm joined by two extraordinary minds in their respective religious fields and religious practices, both Christian and Jewish. And I'm going to introduce the Christian first because last week I introduced the rabbi first. And I'm so happy that the Reverend Dr. David Taylor, who likes to be called Reverend Dave, has joined us again on equal footing tonight. And a, a new guest who I'm delighted to have on the program, the Millennial Rabbi. Rabbi Daniel Bortz. Many followers out there. The the uh, aka the Millennium Millennial Rabbi has joined us on equal footing as well. So Rabbi uh, Rabbi Daniel, Rabbi Bortz. Reverend Dave, thank you for joining me tonight on Equal Footing, and I hope that you got, you can at least hear me since uh, we're not in a normal studio set up. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Okay, so two, let's get two things, uh, out there, get, you know, through a couple things first. One is, I, for, if you're just joining, I, I warned at the outset, I've got COVID, um, third time around the track. Uh, first time I volunteered for a, a medical study with Mount Sinai really early on, no symptoms, and I was, you know, trying to be altruistic. Ah, apropos to tonight's program, didn't have any symptoms. First time a year ago, sucked, free vaccine. And I I just want to tell you, if you're listening, e- even if you're vaccinated, I'm double vaccinated. I was actually a few days away from my booster, and I got the current variant out there, and I don't feel as at risk as I did last year, but I'll tell you, <laughs> I got very sick, and you can probably still hear it in my voice even as I'm convalescing. Be careful during the holiday season. Don't take it for granted. And for all of my religious brethren, who I don't know why we seem to be a little bit more laissez-faire about this, maybe it's because we believe in the divine plan more, but even if you are totally okay with uh, with uh the risk out there for whatever reason, not everyone is. Be be careful. Uh, be loving to, to others that may not share the same viewpoint. Um, keep your distance and uh, be safe this, this holiday season. Um, okay. So with that, and again, I'm apologizing for my raspy voice, and I'll try to get on you when I cough, and I'll try not to talk as much during the rest of the program. The other more important thing we're going to get through here, the intro. The Reverend Dr. David Taylor, Reverend Dave, has been so gracious to be on this program. A number of times in the past, especially so now, a couple days before Christmas, he's with his family in Florida. Many of you know already a little bit about him. Uh, he worked with the Nobel Peace Prize winner, Des- the Bishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa many years ago. He brings a multi-denominational background. In Christianity, from a Baptist perspective, an evangelical home uh, liturgy in the Episcopalian um, denomination. He has uh, a bachelor's degree from the University of Mississippi, a Master's of Divinity from the Southern Theological Seminary, and a Master's of Religious Study from the University of Cape Town. Uh, he has been been a member of the Episcopalian Church, Episcopal Church, pardon me. Since the 1990s, he's also at the doctorate. He's four degrees from the Virginia Episcopalian Seminary, and the Reverend Dave has served as a chaplain. I always like to mention this first, Reverend Dave, because I'm a huge baseball fan, to major minor league baseball teams, veterans hospitals, retirement communities, retirement communities, prisons, also very dear to my heart, ministerial work in prisons, and numerous boarding schools. Reverend Dave, welcome back to Equal Footing. You are it joining. It's wonderful tonight. to be here. <laughs> and, and and sometime, Reverend Dave, let's do a show on baseball. Uh, let's have you talk. Rabbi Daniel Bortz, and those of you that don't know him by that name may know him as the Millennial Rabbi. You've got to follow him on social media. You can find him and at, at uh, Millennial Rabbi and all the platforms. It's Millennial with two L's and two N's, as I learned, my producer, I was spelling it wrong. The R- Rabbi Daniel Bortz grew up in San Diego, California, but, and he and Reverend Dave have this in common, uh, he was originally from Cape Town, South Africa. You both had a connection to Cape Town. And uh, Rabbi Daniel, after an intense spiritual search in his teen years, headed to Jerusalem, to Balshuva, became more religious later, delved into Jewish wisdom, and embarked on a multi-year journey exploring biblical Talmudic and Jewish mystical teachings in schools around the world. He has his rabbinical degree uh, and uh, in, in California. Uh, he founded J Teen of San Diego, an organization dedicated to uh, empowering teenagers, it works a tremendous amount with young adults and uh, teenagers, young adults, millennials on their spiritual searches. He's also a sports and musical enthusiast. He's meddled, meddled in Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournaments is really a renaissance man um, and he's even uh, minister served the needs of visitors at the Co- coachella music festival so how many orthodox rabbis do you know who hang out at coachella i love it and he's uh, a great um he's great at sharing jewish wisdom in a very accessible way he's been featured on bbc uh, london times travel and leisure so through secular media as well as jewish media follow Rabbi Daniel Borch, the Millennial Rabbi. So, Rabbi Daniel, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for joining us. Such a pleasure. Thank you, guys. You gave me permission, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, hit 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 this issue right in the middle of. I hope the bullseye. I'll I'll pepper these if we have time through the show, but there is a plethora of academic peer-reviewed research in psychology and the social sciences covering children from six years old to elderly adults. That proves out through lots of objective studies. We can get into some of these. We talked about them on previous shows that people that I are, uh, identify as ultra religious or, or a very observant rate significantly lower way outside of statistical uh, coincidence in objective metrics of altruism. Kids are less likely to share things when they grow up in ultra religious families. Um, adults are less likely. To do basic uh, and ICs for for strangers. It, it's through a, a variety of different um, uh, uh, formats and and studies, and, and you both are aware of, of some of them. Um, these there have been lots of explanations for this. The most accepted academic explanation out there. We talked about this last week. Is not that you know religious people are worse than than atheists or nonbelievers. It's not that we're you know feel like we have a lot uh, you know that um, we're not as Well, educated. Some people use the excuse of, well, you know, we're less worldly when they're religious, so we're getting misunderstood. We're less polite just because we're misunderstood, or we haven't been trained in certain things. Some people say, oh, well, religious people are held to a higher standard, therefore their their mistakes are noticed more. Well, to be fair, the most accepted uh, explanation objectively in the academic world is this concept of moral license. It's not that religious people are worse in any regard, or they were less worldly. Or care less in any way about others, but that we feel like we checked the box, and it's evidence all the way to kids as little as, as little as six years old, that because you're you're raised thinking, okay, I'm doing my religious duty, I'm doing my mitzvot, I'm doing whatever the equivalent in, in other faiths, I'm doing what I should be what I should be doing as a religious person, I've kind of done that today, and therefore often less attentive in other moments of the day. So with with, with that, I'll, 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 I'll shut up. And ask you to start, uh, Reverend Dave, and, and bring this to down to the personal level. Are we, as religious people, since I guess in the Christian words we're looking for salvation, it's all about us, right? It's all about us individually, the path for salvation. Are we inherently more selfish than non-religious people? I think that we instinctively
1: as humans are looking for some kind of a payoff or a return on our investment. And so I don't think that the church or the temple or the mosque in some ways is any different from that. Uh, I mean, when you start thinking of practices of give and it shall be given unto you. Well, the more I give, the more that I get. And I know that people have um, interpreted their charitable giving uh, in that way. I think that when we look at Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, and this ties back to the entitlement uh, paradox, so it's like beware of practicing your piety before others um, so that you will be seen before them, that um, I think there is sometimes in charities, um, the opportunity to have a naming opportunity, you put your name on the building, that's something rather than making an anonymous donation. I know that I myself, I admit my humanity. There are times when I'm getting ready to go into my local public supermarket and I see the Salvation Army person ringing the bell on one side, you know, I might be going to the other side just so I don't have to deal with it today. <laughs> but I, I think that, we are all a part of wanting to get something out of the experience, and the church is no exception.
0: In Judaism, I think the problem is, and I, and I hope I won't get listeners saying I'm self-hating, is a little bit more pronounced, Rabbi Daniel, because we, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of teaching in, in in the Christian faith around the vulnerable. And around lo- loving, um, the downtrodden. And I think in a way that until the Baal Shem Tov, and the, you know, and the, until it comes around, whatever the 18th century, it's less up a little bit less up in our faith. Um, and we're so focused on halacha and, and mitzvot and the specific things we're supposed to do. So is it fair to say that this issue of self-centeredness is more of a problem for us as Jews? The research
2: you statistics you found I do find very interesting, just in terms of, of not being better, but being on equal footing, that you would think a religious person would be higher but might not be, I think is simply down to human nature. Because no matter the values you learn, human nature is extremely powerful. So how one approaches religion and the values you learn is extremely important. The, the values won't automatically overpower the human tendency to egotistical behavior, impulsiveness, angry, uh, selfishness. And I remember when, when, when people would complain, you know, sometimes Israelis, secular Israelis, or, you know, to my, to my mother, and they would say, look at the way some heredic, some religious people act, uh, in this way. Like, why would I, you know, want to become religious? So, so my mother would say two things that I really liked. One thing she would say is, first of all, why would you ever let people deprive you of your individual connection to God and to your Judaism. And number two is the people that you're noticing, these few people you're noticing, it's in spite of the Torah values they've learned, meaning they might have been far worse. Human nature is very, uh, we know through Hasidus and and other uh, sources that human nature is very animalistic, and we're trying in our lifetime to refine ourselves to become more sensitive people to recognize those around us to become better and it doesn't mean because you're religious that automatically you are going to be a uh, a a moral kind sensitive person and everyone's born with different uh, nature and different nurture so just to be fair in that in that perspective i think is an important starting point point. and the second thing i would say is just that Judaism is kind of divided up into two categories of performance of mitzvot, of serving God. One is between man and man, and one is between man and God. So there there could be that that because man and God, that connection we have with God, is so um, such a major part of our life, some could get caught up in that service of God to such an extent that they don't pay as much attention to the second part of Judaism, which is taking care of each other.
0: So one more question for, for you, Rabbi, before we go to our first break and I invite listeners to participate as, as well. You talk about the different relationships that are spelled out in in, in mitzvot and in Jewish law. The vast majority of those you know, 613 rules, many of which, of course, are outdated, are and I say outdated, meaning no longer applicable, the vast majority are related to our relationship with God and the things that we do in our private space. The Ten Commandments have more of a balance in terms of, you know, the relationship with others. But there has been significant academic and philosophical criticism, particularly in the last several centuries, about the Abrahamic faith, particularly the root and the Jewish side, of its lack of altruistic instruction. And I, and I guess I'm not trying to corner you, but is it fair to say objectively that we don't get as much instruction in Judaism around altruistic values as other faiths do?
2: I would I would actually uh, push back a little bit. Because I've attended Jewish day school and public school growing up, and I got to kind of compare the two um, – at my Jewish day school, uh, at Chabad day school that I grew up in, uh, which was a, most kids going there were not religious, but it was a Chabad school. They used to put stickers when you did good deeds, when you would, they would, they would give you prizes. They would, it was a huge part of the education was kindness to each other. Whereas in public school, granted, I went to public school later, like seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade. So maybe that's something that goes on in second, third grade more, but Clearly, the emphasis was on your academic achievement. There was, there was no, never a discussion on, maybe in an English class, we talk about morality uh, here and there as like an interesting topic. But morality in the American school system, I wouldn't say is something that will help you get into Harvard. It's, it's, it's not part of the system. And that's why the Rebbe pushed for a moment of silence at public schools. But the, 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 the emphasis on, I think, moral values is definitely something that uh, exists and is pushed in in Jewish education, and every family, of course, approaches it differently. Um, but, you know, there's so many denominations and so many cultures and subgroups within Judaism, I can't speak for all of them, but I will say one thing, which is, according to Jewish tradition, the reason the third, the second temple was destroyed was not because of lack of service of God on some religious level, it was for baseless hatred. So kind of instilled in our exile and in our mentality over the last 2,000 years maybe we could do a better job about it is this idea that the only way we're going to get redemption is going to be through kindness, the opposite baseless love to each other, which like you mentioned earlier, we can get into later really has taken root in the last few hundred years with the Baal Shem Tov and the Musra movement and other focuses on interpersonal relationships. But that's just a little bit on your, on your point, a little. That's a beautiful,
0: that's beautiful. I had never heard about that, that, is the description for the, the kind of spiritual basis for the destruction of the Second Temple. Thank you for that. So we're going to go to our, our first break. We're going to come back talking about this paradox, the this, this self-centeredness paradox. Is, is a religious life inherently selfish, at least self-centered? We'll get back to some of those definitional differences after the break. We're joined by Rabbi Daniel Bortz also known as the millennial Rabbi and the Reverend Dr. David Taylor has joined us before Gracious to be joining us again. Participate in this conversation. Share your stories. have you do you struggle with that yourself? I do. do you know I, as I've become more religious in certain ways, sometimes I wonder if I'm being less attentive to people I care about in my life in other ways. Do you struggle with that? Do you, have you seen others struggle with this um, issue of, you know, relig- religiosity also sometimes equating self centeredness? You can call in 718 303 9090 or tell us why it's not a problem. 718 303 9090. You can call and mention your name or do it on an anonymous basis. And if you really want to remain anonymous or you just feel like, you know, like listening to your voice on the air, you can text a comment or question or WhatsApp, a text, a comment, or question to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. You're so brave. you probably think this song is about All right, well, equal footing, this is going to be tough for me to do, voiceovers tonight, I'm struggling with my voice, is brought to you, as always, in part by DocuVax. I'll just briefly summarize, in this day and age, this is more important than ever. It's having easy access to your medical records and being able to share those medical records with appropriate third parties, like a school or a new healthcare provider or insurance company, or even a restaurant now where you have to show your vaccine status getting in, but doing so in a way that respects your confidentiality and the security of your medical data. Most people have their medical records dispersed on their computer and physical files, et cetera, or with different doctors. Well, DocuVax has news for you. Your medical records are your own. They do not belong to your doctor. They do not belong to your insurance company. You should have them in a single data-secure electronic facility where you can get them validated, you can have doctors interpret them, you can get references more cheaply and easily to specialists, and you can make sure to show the relevant medical information to folks without showing anything you don't want to. Well, that's through the DocuVax system. Go to DocuVax.com, that's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com, or... You can download the DocuVax app on your app store on Apple or your Google Android phone. And for as little as $6.99 per month, you have all your medical records, vaccine records, uh, uh, lab results, even x-rays and MRIs in one place. And you have doctors and nurses that are on call for you for only $6.99 per month, $6.99 per month. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, to validate a vaccine, let you know when you need to do an updated uh, immunization, blood tests, or preventative screening, or analyze anything else in your locker. And your information is only available to you and the doctors in a secure HIPAA-compliant database. And you can use DocuVax's proprietary QR code-based system to share information to show you're up-to-date on a vaccine, for example, or a preventative screening without showing extraneous detail, like your birth date or even your full name. You know, it occurred to you now, you go in, for example, here in the state of New York, you go into a restaurant, you've often got to show uh, a vaccine pass that has a, a lot of information on it that you may not want to share with that person. There are other options available. Get DocuVax. And if you're a small or medium sized business organization that wants to provide this as a benefit to employees, Uh, just like a gym membership for whatever you can get bulk discounts you gotta mention you heard about DocuVax on equal footing and call 833-859-1933 for group discounts that's 833-859-1933 operators are standing by in
3: 1994 fewer than 100 Jewish residents lived in Judea and Samaria Today, the land is home to nearly 500,000 Jews in more than 150 proud communities. Each of these communities have been transformed in some significant way by the generosity of contributors to One Israel Fund's mission. One Israel Fund helps these communities establish and maintain a safe, secure life in our biblical heartland through addressing their medical, security, community, educational, and recreational needs. Our 36-hour virtual Give a Little Heart campaign now going on offers you the chance to have a real impact on the nearly 500,000 Jews of Judea and Samaria and reconnect with our heartland. Get ready to give a little heart to our brothers and sisters in the heartland by supporting One Israel Fund. Please join us for an evening of entertainment on Thursday, December 23rd at 8 p.m. online at oneisraelfund.org. That's oneisraelfund.org. And join Hillel Fold, international tech blogger, Commander Golanbach of the IDF Search and Rescue Unit, comedian Ashley Blaker, and out-of-the-box violinist Ariella Zeitlin, hosted by Nahum Siegel. That's Thursday at 8 p.m. at oneisraelfund.org. Please donate generously now at oneisraelfund.org.
0: Okay. You're back on equal footing, and I'm here, I'm Joe Tusman. I'm here with the Reverend Dr. David Taylor and Rabbi Daniel Bortz, a.k.a. the Millennial Rabbi, and we're talking about this paradox of self-centeredness and religious life is leading a religious life inherently self-centered. And uh, Reverend Dave, uh, before the break, Rabbi Bortz was, was talking, Rabbi Daniel was talking to us about mentioned the Baal Shem Tov and the change in, in in the movement that started in, the, in really the 17th and, and blossomed in the 18th century around kind of getting rid of the caste system that was so prevalent, at least in, in European uh, Judaism. And, and although it may have started to happen sooner in Christianity uh, during the Reformation, I mean, to both of you, this is a relatively recent phenomenon in both of these religions, because Uh, prior to uh, a few hundred years ago, um, you know, it doesn't seem like either religion cared too much about the downtrodden. Whatever dogma may have been, uh, was very clearly kind of a caste system or an extremely classist system um, evidenced by both religions. Tremendous oppression endorsed by both religions in an institutional sense. So I'm I'm obviously being a bit of a devil's advocate, but is is altruism and it really at the core of let's start with christian faith it, or, or is this is this a little bit of monday morning quarterbacking or or whitewashing reverend Dave? I, I think you have a great point in the fact
1: that going back to your previous comment on the golden rule and that is that we should all treat people like we would like to be treated and i think that in the the examination of this and and working in the school world, that there's a tremendous difference between community service and faith-based charity. One, for my students, there is a community service requirement, which is an interesting way of looking at it. But that comes from, I believe, um, a Spider-Man theology of much that is given, much is expected kind of idea that goes back to, you know, other other forms as well. That I think that there is the the key difference, and I think Martin Buber hits on this in I Thou. Uh, but a great quote of his that I that I continue to remind myself is an atheist staring out his attic window is sometimes nearer to God than a believer caught up in a, in his own false image of God. And I I think that Indeed. when we go for the eternal Thou, we can be connected through relationship, and that's what makes a difference from the tithes in both the Abrahamic traditions of Judaism and Christianity and, and Islam, that giving is good, but giving for a purpose for the kingdom of God
0: is greater. So, to be fair, on this point of self-centeredness, I alluded to this earlier in terms of definition. Definition: uh, There are different versions of this that do dovetail with at least Jewish faith. Rabbi Daniel. So we talked about self-centeredness in this program, and particularly because that that's not good. <laughs> um, it, you know, it, it takes us further from God, at least in, in the way Jewish faith is, it is taught we need to be focused on doing the right thing, but, but focus on beyond our, our own small self. Um, on the other hand, um, egoism, and not being egotistical, but egoism is an ethical theory. That that treats self-interest as like a foundation of morality. Uh, so there are different ways. So I guess that's what we're trying to get on on the show. What I was trying to get at is is living a really observant life. Ego um, egoistic, not egotistical, not self-centered, but it, is it egoistic? Is the sense that that it's it it. Places our own self in what we're doing each day as the center of everything to reach as much unity with Hashem as we can. And mm. that's saying that might not be bad. Is it, is our, yeah. is our religious life as Jews at least intrinsically self-centered?
2: Well, I love the question. I mean, if at the beginning of COVID, uh, my whole life is dedicated to outreach. You know, I went through the Chabad system, which, is, I've grown up in the last, you know, 15-20 years simply around people that dedicate their entire lives. They live in Siberia, they live in China, they live in Africa, they live on college campus. They, they sacrifice spiritually and physically and materially in order to help a fellow Jew and any person in need. So. That really rubbed off on me during my learning. Um, but at the beginning of COVID, uh, it put a pause on my outreach activities because I, I couldn't work with the high schoolers like I used to or the college students or the young professionals. And I started delving more into my studies like I used to when I had more time in yeshiva. And I was enjoying it so much. My spiritual path, I'm like, maybe I should just go off to Tzfat, which is a mystical city in northern Israel and just study, you know, study Kabbalah, meditate, see how far I can grow and really tap into my, uh, continue my personal spiritual journey uh uh more and then i was pulled back into a there was a debate with a youtuber i got i got thrown into a whole um clearly basically god was showing that a message to me like you you have that time before you're born in heaven and you'll have that time after you die but here on earth i need you to to work uh in the world and you know i think back to when i was a yeshiva student uh learning in rabbinical school in uh, in the old city of jerusalem i was it was a friday night and again, I was in the Chabad path, and I was with another religious uh, uh, yeshiva student. And I remember us having this conversation late at night. Outside, he was saying that I want to fill my cup until it's so full that it overflows and I can give to everybody around me, i.e., I'm going to learn in Jerusalem for 5, 10, 15 years. And once I have a lot of knowledge and wisdom under my belt, I'll, I'll find time to give to other people. And I, said, I looked at him, and I said, why can't you pour, as you're filling your cup, pour out a bit? Like, along the way. And I think the, like you said, the desire to grow, and by the way, it's not just religious. Anyone who wants to become great at anything, anybody who wants to self-improve, anybody who wants to, whatever religion or whatever philosophy you are, it's going to take a bit of selfishness. You're going to have to push other things aside and sometimes people aside in order to grow personally, whatever it is. If you want to become the best basketball player, uh, you want to be the best businessman. Uh, But I think... That at least in my past, the teachers I've had and the Hasidic uh, uh, perspective that I've had was not only is it important to also help others, but it's critical. It is the core of your uh, spiritual mission. You know, every Friday I used to go for the entire day with my fellow students to uh, give out um pamphlets of Torah knowledge on, on, on even if it was in the freezing cold of Manhattan in the middle of winter, put the fill in on people, give candles, that mentality has always been what I've gravitated to. And I know it's not for everybody. Uh there is definitely a movement to also just focus on your own spiritual growth and everything else can contaminate that uh growth. That's that that's the more insular approach. Those are my some of my initial thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I I, I love your instruction, uh, Rabbi Daniel, because you're you're helping reset some some inherited biases that even I have um, as as a Jew, and I, and I think in a certain sense, Reverend Dave, that you know Christians have a bit of a leg up on this particular issue because it, the, the the teachings are so filled with um, these these concepts of, you know, that uh, love is openness, love is non-judgment, love is compassion, love is humility, love is kindness, love is empathy, love is equanimity, all these, these things that whenever you, when when I, even in the research for this show, these are the types of things that come up when you, 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 you look at the crux of Christianity and self-centeredness. Um, but on the other hand, I think from an outsider's perspective, I think there's also the issue of the obsession in Christianity with salvation, if you'll if you, pardon me being so blunt, it seems to be about this individual salvation. So are all of those love is, all of these religions is compassion, and judgmental openness that are just really all a means to an end? Isn't it all just a means to personal salvation? And isn't that I a, think the there ultimate are, selfishness? I think there isn't are, that the ultimate egotism? I think that there are
1: people who definitely see it that way within Christianity. And that is like, and and again, there are folks within the broad ten of Christianity that feel that it is a works based, I must do good things. And that's where the the scale is going to be judged, as opposed to a grace based, that their salvation is a free gift of God that we need to accept. And by accepting that, then automatically we would want to do good things, uh, that we would want to give the help that is needed, that is without there. And going back to the idea of hypocrisy that we talked about last week, if I can give you one just quick story from my seminary time that made a tremendous impact on me. There was a, a class that you could take at seminary. I did not take this. My friends did. Um, but you could go live for 48 hours. You would do the plunge for social work, and you would basically be homeless for a 48-hour period. And within that, a friend of mine did this. who's a very talented musician. He took his guitar. He was busking. And in 48 hours, he made a lot of money. And on Sunday morning after church, he was at a at a grocery store close by and a prominent religious leader a pastor of a local church came by and he was playing and he asked um, the minister for a donation when the minister said i I, I don't have any cash i don't have any cash and he brushed him aside and then when he came out of the store um, my friend said hey i feel really bad about your situation i've been doing okay and he slips the pastor a 20 just to let him know that you know he could be okay you know he's going to have his next meal coming from it And, and i think that there goes to the idea of what is caught versus what is taught to ultimately what is experienced in the sharing of your time, your talent, and then
0: ultimately your treasure, if you're fortunate enough to have that. Okay. But, I mean, there is, and and I have a a listener, I think, who wrote this uh, in in a, a very succinct way. Uh, and this this letter doesn't qual- doesn't state what their own religion is but says religion is in fact the ultimate in selfishness. And there is an argument for that. I you kinda of feel kinda of feel like Reverend Dave you may have evaded the question a little bit because isn't the Christian path that are, at least, isn't it at the end all about your personal salvation? And that may be a wonderful form of selfishness. I don't know, but isn't it kind of the ultimate definition in selfishness? Or at least self-centeredness. I,
1: I would I would agree in in the fact that yes, that my attributes are going towards salvation. What I will be doing for eternity is always, I believe, um, at the forefront of the, the mind. Again, going back to my comment on you know return for investment, you know, and looking at this. Um, but I, I do feel that um, there are exceptions uh, to that. But there are times where I feel that people are looking for their own edification, their own salvation. And, of course, in Christianity, it's um, in an evangelical sense. Well, are you going to go to heaven? Are you going to go to hell? Okay, well, I don't like the latter option, so what do I need to do to make sure
0: that I'm not there for eternity? And so it becomes a little transactional. Yeah, I think the the argument that's made. And this could be a multi-hour program. Ultimately, is a multi-hour series. But uh, I, I hate to refer to academic research without without making direct references. We talked about it a lot last week. One thing, I, one that I will put out there before I make this point is check out Mark Leary, Doctor Mark Leary, L E who Y. We'll put this in the show notes. He writes for a number of peer-reviewed academic journals, including psych- and, and and published in Psychology Today quite a bit. And he's often credited as being a leader in the, this. This um this field of, of of study around the problem of self-centeredness and the paradox of of religion, but but trust me on this. We don't have a lot of time to go through this. That there's overwhelming academic research showing that people that relig- identify as highly religious also mark uh, fright- frighteningly lower on basic indexes of of altruism. Um, Whether it has to do with environmental ethics, the way they treat their neighbors, uh, the way they, they, they behave in daily life. Again, even children as, lo- as little as six years old, uh, the way that the study several years ago was widely published in different academic peer reviewed um, environments about the way that they, 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 children that are related to religious homes don't share things as much. So it seems to me, when I'm honest with myself, that a lot of people that are, that are, choose to be Highly religious are doing so really to save themselves. It's about themselves. It's not about others. And in and in in research, Rabbi Daniel for this show, I had it was very difficult. For example, to find religious textual references to selflessness, there was a lot of talk about it in terms of your own path to God getting in the way, but the definition of what it meant. So what is what is it to be selfless as a Jew? Like, it, simply put. So, I
2: again, because I'm coming from the Chabad perspective, it's difficult for me to speak in any other mind frame because, you know, the Alter Rebbe who founded the Chabad movement. There's a famous story that on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, he was nowhere to be found. And they waited, waited, waited. They couldn't start without the big rabbi. And finally, someone went to go look for him, and they found him. in a woman's cottage. She had just given birth, and she had nobody around, and it was freezing. And he had went to cut up wood, which actually broke the holiday, to cut up wood to make a, a hot pot of water and be able to give her something to drink and eat. And he went to do it himself. And the idea of the Hasidic path is is the idea of sacrificing, um, you know, being willing to sacrifice your own spiritual uh, and even your world to come. You know, the, the the there's a beautiful story of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, that a woman came for a blessing um for children, and she wasn't destined to have any. So he looked in the heavens, he saw that she wasn't, and he blessed her anyway. And because he was righteous, it was answered. And there was a tumult in heaven, and the story goes, and by the way, whether you believe in the story or not, because it's passed down a Hasidic lore, clearly it's a principle and a, and a major lesson for us. Uh, heaven yeah. said... Baal Shem, Baal Shem Tov, you've lost your portion in the world to come. All the good you've done, everything is gone, because the righteous are judged based on a hair's breadth. And when the Baal Tov heard that, it says he started dancing with joy. He said, now I know that I, I'm a, I'll serve God truly selflessly. I know I'm not going to get a world to come. I know there's nothing coming my way. It's simply, I might have fooled myself to thinking that I love God. But now I know I truly love God, and I truly love others, and I'm doing it for the right cause. And of course, in merit of that got he, he got his role to come back but the the uh, i think selflessness is saying that i am focused on my spiritual growth i am focused on living my best life but sometimes i have to sacrifice that for others and my mother she she runs a gemach which is gemilut chasidim. it's it's a it's a jewish gift closet she calls it in english and they give they give wedding dresses and micro loans and she's getting calls all day about someone in the community that needs something in the moment so i kind of grew up with that system in my, in my life. And I can't say what applies to everybody else. Um, but I, I, would say that it's, it's, uh, being, being willing to be so committed to your, to your Judaism and your, and your path, but also, uh, realizing that what is that worth if I'm not, you know, helping out those around me? And I think that is definitely a principle. Um, and I'm, I'm sad if it's not something that is, Felt by others, but I will just close off with the fact that I think this past week I was talking to, I, was in, I work in a co-working space in, in Manhattan and in Brooklyn and this, uh, I think it was an African American Christian, um, guy said, I, I, I always notice how you guys take care of each other. Like mm. whether it's in donations or taking care in the communities, like it's like, I kind of envy that. And I've heard it from a lot of people, a lot of non-Jews. Now, does that answer the idea of helping those outside of our religion? Maybe we could do a better job, but I think also you see, um, you know, so I think I'm clearly highlighting the good side. I try, tend to see the, try to highlight the good and that will lead us to do more good. You know, you reflect something good back to somebody, like your child does something good, reflect that back and they'll do more good instead of saying what they do wrong. Uh, but I clearly can see your point that we need to, uh, on our journey of truth and the world to come and,
0: spiritual grandeur that that we can never lose sight of those around us, but you know and it's a beautiful story i hadn't i hadn't heard that before in my own ignorance and kind of giving up everything to come uh and 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 being open to that and then you really get that's when you really probably have the uh the the door to heaven so to speak open or the door to unity open we'll be we'll be right back with by Daniel Bortz and the Reverend Dr. David Taylor talking about the paradox of self-centeredness and religious life, or at least the moral hazard. And I really appreciate this honest discussion. We'll be right back on Equal cool, Funny. I never i get this far Down the road And I never i get this far
3: That's 212-661-3376. You could even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've
0: been cold, but I'm keeping on, keeping on All right, you're back on equal footing. We got some good, uh, listener, uh, comments and questions by text. I, I appreciate that it's a little harder tonight to do the, uh, the calls in. Please be patient if you're on the phone lines. We, we may not have, uh, time to take callers tonight just because of the not being in the studio. But one is a comment. I'm going to dip through a couple of these. Uh, one listener refers us to the liberation theology movement, Reverend Dave. Um, that took real hold in the 1960s, and uh, as, as, a, as a, a, a proof point to the opposite argument that, in fact, uh, a religious life um, is is a selfless life. Uh, I don't know, Reverend Davis, for our audience, you can quickly educate them on what the liberation theology movement is about.
1: Well, I think that the liberation theology movement is. Um, akin to, to Oscar Romero and others uh, in the Catholic Church of whatever you do to the least of these the poor you do also unto me um, looking at Jesus's uh, famous lines about that that the poor are always going to be with you and you always have an opportunity to share God's love and God's grace and liberation theology in uh, central and South America and the Catholic Church really did a lot of incredible work of making that far more, mainstream, which also in my experience was a real catalyst in the anti-apartheid movement, that with the religious leaders that were there, uh, with my uh, being in the office with Archbishop Desmond Tutu, to be able to say, no, the people that don't have a voice, we are the voice of the voiceless. And whether it's King or Romero or Mother Teresa or uh, Desmond Tutu, There are tremendous examples within Christianity of people who made tremendous sacrifices to themselves and to their families um, in great examples of servant leadership that have had a tremendous impact.
0: That's a a great education on on that. It encourages people to look. I haven't studied liberation theology since I was in college. It's a a beautiful movement, very impactful in places like South America and Africa and so forth. Uh, so here's a, here's one on, um, from a, a Jewish listener. It's a little bit of a, of a tougher point, but I think worth, worth mentioning. Uh, Rabbi Daniel says the, the, the problem in our religion is that our stories of sacrifice, going to that last comment that you just made, uh, Reverend Dave, often have to do with sacrificing for our own religious beliefs as opposed to sacrificing for the beliefs or lives of people who are not Jewish. Um, what do you say to this listener? I think you kind of were alluding to this right before the break.
2: can you can you clarify that that question again?
0: Well, it's hard to clarify because it's coming from a listener, but it's it's uh, I guess pointing out that um, that the stories of sacrifice in in our religion in Judaism have often have to do with people sacrificing uh, for their religious beliefs. Um, as opposed to religious beliefs of those who are not I Jewish see. or the lives who see. are not Jewish. So, so something that could be passed. There's so much trauma in Jewish
2: history that we don't talk about. You know, there's so, so much where we had to cling on to our religion and give. You know, Hannah and her seven sons. You know, the famous story where she had to, the, the, the emperor said, you know, give up your Judaism and I'll spare your lives. And he killed all seven of her children in front of her. At the end of the day, our, our, our Judaism, our Jewish belief is extremely critical is not something that we say, okay, humanity comes first and then our Judaism second. It's, it's hand in hand. Um, you know, the first story of Abraham who was the most loving, caring person, God says, you know, sacrifice your son and, and at the end pulls back. But throughout history, that self-sacrifice for our belief system has been so embedded in us that it makes sense why we cling on to that above all costs and why you might go to a religious neighborhood and, and protecting the spiritual, uh, path for, for ourselves and looking after our own as well is something that comes paramount because that's what we've been uh, conditioned to do. We haven't had a chance to speak a reverend to a rabbi in a loving uh, opportunity. We haven't had the open arms uh, until the last about 50 years for the first time in all of history. So uh, there's definitely factors at play uh, in why we might be a little more insulated and why we might keep to ourselves and uh, a lot of those aspects.
0: Yeah, kind of give ourselves a little bit of a break on that. Uh, you know, there is a lot of trauma there and this gives me an opportunity to, to say to those listeners that feel like some of these questions are too critical of uh, Jewish life. And often I get comments, it's being self-hating. Um, I, I don't think so. I think asking ourselves to, to be better in areas we can improve is always, always worthy. Uh, and in, in fact, um, that's part of the point we're trying to. Get it, get it tonight, uh, Reverend Dave. There's a there's a comment here, right? The a note from a listener that I'm going to need to abbreviate because it's it's beautifully written and literally like four paragraphs long. But it, I want to read it, it part of it at least because it uh, it was triggered, or I, I'm reading it part because I just heard from Rabbi Daniel's discussion of the traumas that are inherent in in the Jewish people. This listener says. Um, do we imagine that the fears and trauma, the, the chaos of our human relations each day and all the heavy, heavy childhood karma that we carry around, that, that then when we come to the threshold of spiritual life, we can readily leave it all behind and like pass unscathed, unscathed toward a higher path. No, that's impossible. We can plunge into a baptismal pool or pass through a purificatory fire. And think that we're, that our faith will save us or clear us, but we are still human looking for a mother or father, maybe a spiritual mother or father. So there's a lot more there, but it's beautiful. And I think that part of what maybe we're closing on here is that, yes, it may be selfish at times, uh, or we may leave, as Rabbi Daniel said, other relationships can sometimes suffer and become more religious, but, um, just in time allocation, at least. But we also have a lot of inner trauma that we need to work through. And, and if there's any way for selfishness to manifest, maybe it manifesting in, in spiritual life and yearning for God is the best way.
1: I, I would agree with that. Uh, I think that, first of all, it's a very poetic um, text and commentary. Uh, to quote the great... Um, Musical theologian Rascal Flat, uh, God bless the broken road, uh, and, and I think that all of us being human and all of us being broken, uh, that is something that in the Abrahamic traditions and, and groups like the international, um, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, and working together towards things that are good as bridge building, I think, is the ultimate opportunity. But going to your last point, Dove, it's that. If we are going to be selfish, let us be selfish in helping others. And if that is, um, if that is the greatest critique against us, um, going back to the lines of John Wesley, the idea of do all the good that we can by every means that we can, in every way that you can, in all the places you can, in all the times with all the people for as long as you can. If that is the greatest criticism of selfishness, I'll take
0: that as a person of faith. Yeah. I think that's beautifully put. And, and Rabbi Daniel, uh, maybe to, to, to close us off, uh, on this topic where I clearly, I even have my own trauma. I didn't wanted to get to some other stories tonight about the really hypocrisy that I sometimes here in our own community we talked about last week. What, what would you say to someone that is personally struggling with as I became, if I, as I become more religious, you know, as I'm Balshuva and I'm diving more into that life and I feel like I'm, to some extent, leaving behind others in my life, or not being uh, as altruistic as I as I would like. But what, what words of comfort can you give to close out? I would I would go
2: back to um, my my mother's uh, response that she said to that man, which is don't let anyone deprive you of your personal journey. That along the road of your of each of our unique spiritual paths and our own personal journeys, we're going to find people that inspire us, and we're going to find people that really you know, I've met people that I've looked up to. I've read their books, and I meet them in person, and I'm like, really? Like, yes, you don't embody what you're actually teaching. So, but what I never, I always try to take something from every person I meet that that I can get, because every person has something of value. Uh, as Kirk Avot says, the wise one learns from every person you meet. So, I think along the journey is not to let any one person say, oh, they act that way, and therefore that's affecting my belief or these people have been bad to me. It's a matter of always having that, that love and that hope and, and, and highlighting the good and, and being able to uh, pick and choose and finding the mentors and the people around you and the community around you that you gravitate to realizing that all human beings are inherently flawed. And even if they learn good things, it doesn't mean they're always gonna be able to implement it for many reasons. We have all of us have a, a side that we're trying to work on throughout our life. Uh, and to have that compassion and to recognize, you know what, I'm going to be the model of the behavior that I want to see in the world, and maybe if I clean up my glasses, if I start to see the world that way, I start to fill myself up with light, maybe I'll clear up my glasses a bit and get rid of some of those traumas, and I'll see around me, I'll, I'll be able to highlight more of it in the people around me and notice it more. So I'm, 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 I, I would say there's yeah. a lot of beauty in the world, there's a lot of darkness, and
0: let's try and uh, try and highlight that that beauty we can find. Yeah, just focus on the personal examples, those examples of folks out there who are doing it right. And, you know, there are always going to be folks misstepping, but uh, focus on the paragon. Thank you to you both, Reverend Dave, Rabbi Daniel, uh, and uh, Merry Christmas to all of our Christian listeners. Happy New Year to everyone. Thank you, guys. We'll catch you next week.
1: Oh,